Well, hello, everybody. So I grew up in Chicago, as many of you know, and I am one of three girls. My parents were really young when they had us. By 21, my mom had all three of us. And so needless to say, they had some hard challenges because odds were stacked against them. And so as we grew up, we didn't have very much, but I can now see in hindsight how God's hand was always all over our circumstances. So when food ran out, I always loved when the big block of government cheese showed up. It's like the greatest cheese of this day. Or when we ran out of clothing, my cousins always managed to have hand-me-downs at the right time. And when we lost our house, relatives opened up their homes to us. And no matter what happened, we always made it through. God always provided an avenue out. And I didn't realize it then that God was all over it, but I do now as I look back. And in the middle of all of that, my mom always made it a point to tell my sisters and me that we were special. And she wanted us to firmly believe that no matter what happened, we knew that something better was coming. And I went through life knowing I was special. And my sisters did too. We all were, we were the Schmidt girls. We just knew good things would happen. And my dad made it a point that he always told us how deeply loved we were. And he would say, you know, the circumstances might change, but my love is unwavering. And I believed it. That became my foundation. I had this expectation that good would follow me. So when I lived in this, we lived in a pretty rough area of Chicago, and we had gangs all around us, and they didn't really bug us. They included us. They made nicknames for us. And I knew that I didn't have to do the bad stuff the nickname, or the, the gang members did. I was peewee, and I was protected. And I knew that. And I knew that even though they were dropping out of school, I would go on to college. And I knew that some of the people in my life wouldn't survive to adulthood, but I knew when I got there, things would be amazing. And I've continued to have this belief because it's an expectation that was instilled in me. So how does that relate at all to today's gospel? Here we have this crowd that's following Jesus because they just, um, we, this is right after the miracle of the 5,000. So these people are filling their bellies and Jesus and his disciples drift away onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this crowd decides they need to find Jesus. And so they go out looking for him in Capernaum. And when they find him, of course, they pelt Jesus with a lot of questions. And when Jesus hears all this, he says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. What these crowds are hearing is that they have to work for this bread, this food that's going to endure eternal life. So their next question is exactly that. What's this work that we have to do? What do we have to do? And Jesus sets them straight by making this bold statement. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So is the work of God that which God desires we must accomplish or that God desires God to accomplish? And that's a big difference. So I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about the expectations that you set up for your life. My gut says that most of you think you're decent people. I know each of you personally. I think you are decent people. You probably live your life morally upright 
And all of that is good. But my question is, do you still try to maintain control of your life? How able are you to just let go and let God? Do you honestly believe that God is trying to work in your personal world? This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So the only work you have to do is to believe. So then why is it so hard? What does it mean to actually believe? Believing is trusting that God can do something. Regardless of this human-created condition or circumstances, we cannot negate what God is doing. That's what true belief is. True belief is submitting everything, even our highest stake issues, to the saving grace of Jesus. It means turning over everything. That's belief. And it's not so much what we do, but it's us being open to what God is actively doing. So do you believe? Do you honestly believe that all the good things that happen in your life are because of God? Our second reading is from Ephesians 4. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Anything that we have is a gift from God. It goes on to say, the gifts that we, he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's not calling each of us to be a pastor, because that would be a really boring world. It's calling each of us to be in ministry wherever you are in your life. As a young child, as an elderly person, everything in between. We are each in ministry together. And the reason we are given gifts is so that we can build up the body of Christ. But we're given different gifts. These musicians are amazing. Zion is so gifted in the music department. But they can go on and say they're so gifted because they practice hard or because they put in the time or the education. And all that's true. But if it wasn't given by God, they wouldn't be all that great. Like I can tell you, I could practice day and night six different ways on Sunday and I'm not going to sound like Barb or Danielle or Emily or Natalie or Allison or anybody else that sings here. Because that's not the gift God gave me. But they're using these gifts to glorify God. So what gifts have you been given to build up the body of Christ? See, at some point we need to realize that God provides everything that we need. At some point we need to realize that we have been equipped, that we oftentimes have been given these gifts to advance the kingdom, but we get in the way and we become a hindrance. I'm just going to tell you this right out. There's nothing we have to do to earn God's love. And we say this probably every time we preach, I feel like. All we have to do is accept, and we have to receive God's love by believing. But sometimes the believing part is the hardest. I have a friend of mine who literally expects God to show off and to spoil her. And I've used her in sermons before because she probably has impacted my faith more than most people. Her name is Amy, and she's a single mother of two. And I remember the day she came into my office and she said, I am going to own a house this year. 
and her salary was $20,000. I said, how in the heck are you going to buy a house? And she said, I'm not. God will. And I watched how like thousands of dollars, $30,000 of debt forgiven over here, this opportunity over here. I just watched how everything fell into place. And I thought, good gravy. She would come in every day and she's like, well, let's see how God's going to spoil me today. And something would happen. And it was just this expectation that God would show up. And God did. Now, I'm not up here trying to promote prosperity gospel at all. But what I am saying is if you live with this expectation that God is active in your life, God shows up. You're going to be raising your awareness and you will see how God is part of your life every day. So where do you expect God to show up? See, John in the gospel uses the original language for the, the word believe is not, or the word faith is not a noun. The word faith, how he uses it, is a verb. So it's active. So our faith is not just um, a thing. Our faith is something that we're actively doing to be in relationship with Jesus, to be reminded that this amazing God loves us and wants to spoil us. But do you expect that? God fed manna to the Israelites, as we heard. Then we hear in the gospel that God gave us the bread of life through Jesus. And much like those Israelites complained in the wilderness, what do we do in our lives? We do a lot of complaining. And we miss that right before our eyes, miracles are happening. So one of the things I love most about Zion is that there are really highly intelligent and highly educated people sitting in these pews. They've reached high levels of academia. They've had tons of success. And what I really am challenged with by the people of Zion is that we have highly intelligent people sitting in these pews who have reached high academic levels. They're part of academia. Lots of success. And why is that a problem? See, when we have this ability to deduce and reduce and research and negotiate and diagnose and we, we constantly want to rip things apart, what we end up doing is trying to blow holes in theory, including the theory that Jesus loves you beyond anything. And we start to blow that to bits that this universal love, this forgiving love of this amazing God is actually for me and it's actually for you. We start to shred that and find all the reasons why there's not a chance that love is for me. There's not a chance I'm worth it. And so then we hold on extra tight to our decisions in our life, to our bank accounts, to all the things that we think matter. And we don't trust. We don't trust or believe. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. He has sent I, Jim and I have um, conversations about the budget sometimes, and I just recently said to him, there's not one minute of my life that I've ever worried about our church budget. I, I don't, like, lose sleep over it. And the reason I don't is because we as a body of Christ have a lot of gifts that we have used to build the kingdom of God. And because I believe that God really did provide manna for the people in the wilderness, I also believe that Jesus Christ, the bread of life, will honor what we're doing as a church. I'm not saying my faith is bigger than anybody else's. I'm just saying for me, I choose 
to put all my faith in that God will be, will, will be faithful. But can you do that in your own life? What might you have to like let go of so that God can show up? We tend to, at this church, really stay in our heads instead of in our hearts. But when we do this shift, it's so freeing. It's so freeing because all of a sudden you realize God wasn't kidding. God really does want to provide. And sometimes when I think what I need the most I don't get, I think God's punishing me. When maybe God's protecting me. And so when I have this belief or when we have this trust, we have to realize, okay, if God really did get crucified, died on the cross, resurrected and ascended for me, was it like just like a one and done deal? Or does this continue to happen? That God continues to want to pour blessings out on us. I have to believe that that sacrifice was made. It's forever and after. It's not just that one time. So I've been praying. Five years ago today, I came to Zion. And for the first year, I was the intern. So, you know, well, actually the first like 10 months. I was the intern, so I, I didn't, I just tried to learn. Maybe not, I'm kind of pushy. But by that first year as your pastor, I started a prayer. And my prayer was, how can I get you to experience God? How can I get us to move from the head to the heart so that you realize God is actually active in your life right now? Not just reading about it, not just thinking about it, but actually feeling the presence of God. And this week, my prayer was answered. Anne Nieswander walked into my office and she said, I have to tell you about something that happened to me this past year. She said, I dove into this Bible. She said, this Bible has been sitting on my shelf for years. In fact, I think it's out of print, to be quite honest. She said, I've been, I've been reading it. I've been doing it. I've been faithful to it. And she said, you know what happened at week 28? She goes, I became a spiritual. I said, tell me what you mean by that. She said, I, I went from my head to my heart. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. You answered a prayer. And so I go, well, what should we do? Like, I've been praying for this. And you just told me how it happened for you. So we're starting a Bible study. Not just your regular Bible study. It's going to start a week from tomorrow, August 9th. It's called Brown Bag Bible Study. And we're using this book. So we've been frantically trying to buy it up from used bookstores. There is a used version, or I'm sorry, an ebook version on christianbooks.com. But there's no verses. Because we can't exegete it to death. We can't say, let's go to... John 6, 24, and look at the Latin or the whatever and decide what was meant. Uh Uh-uh. Instead of me telling you what you need to think, instead of us ripping apart to the history behind it, this blends Old Testament and New Testament and reflection, and all of a sudden you have to listen to God speaking to you. And it becomes a journey to hearing the Holy Spirit. And then the six, six days you study on your own, the seventh day you come together and you reflect. And Marie Lee, another one of our members who I love dearly, Marie always says to me, it's so important that we hear ourselves. She says, we need people to gather to talk because when you hear yourself speak, you hear what's in your heart and that's important. We need to know what's in our hearts. We need to le- learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. 
So we're trying it. This is one way of trying. If you want to be a part of this, let me know. I have 12 Bibles that we have found. I'm still on a mad hunt for others. Um, but I would love for you to be a part of it because this isn't a history book. It isn't for us to, to dive in and try to figure out all that. There's historical pieces, but it was written as a meditative book. Something that you read, something that you pray on, something that you think about, and then something that you live. That's why we have the Holy Scriptures. Oh, this is my hope. My hope is that we move from being so heady and we become more spiritual. And we start to see how when we let God outside of this box that we've been stuffing God in, that we realize how enormous God is and we become really aware of God's presence. And that right there forces us to understand how little control we have in our life. We don't have much control. We try to hang on to it. But when we let go of that control, the only thing that's left is total dependence on God. And the cool thing is God's kind of in the business of surprises. And so we can then be wowed by what God has for us. So we, I just invite you to stop limiting God and start to expect him to show up in your life. Live with that expectation that you are a child of God and that you are special. There's an artist and theologian. Her name is Elizabeth Gray King. She says it this way. We can believe in love and care and kindness and humility. But until we start living and acting as love, living out that care, graciously spilling over with kindness and working with others in humility as compared to power, a belief is just a belief. Actually, it's almost an object to be admired. So believing in resurrection is okay, but living resurrection is quite another thing. So, are you ready to live in resurrection? Are you ready to go into the world and actually let God do something amazing through you? As a kid, I learned even in the poorest of our situations that I was rich in love and that love conquers everything. And I heard those words that my parents told me. I trusted in those words. I live by them today because I know I'm special. I know I deserve love. And here's words to you. You are special because you are God's child. You are beloved. So you too deserve love. You too deserve this God of the universe to do something amazing in your life. When you're feeling like you fall short, just reach out. Grow in that relationship. Ask the Spirit to fill you with a deep faith and believe and expect that God will make a way. God will show up. God will work through you. So it's time to get out of our heads. It's time to get into our hearts and reach for the only bread you'll ever need, the bread that sustains us, the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. You are all deeply loved. So expect great things from our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, 
I'm not really sure why we all think you can only love the other eight and a half billion people in the world and not us. Not sure why we always tell ourselves that we're falling short of your love and that we're not worthy of it. Because these scriptures remind us that you always provide. You provide the, the manna. You provided amazing gifts to each of us to build your kingdom. And you provide us with the gift of life through Jesus Christ. Everything we need, we are receiving from you. And yet sometimes we turn our back to that love and we still try to do it our own way. So send your spirit to slap our hands. Hold us tight instead, Lord, and show us how amazing our life can be when we let you take over the reins. So give us a deep faith. Grow us in our relationship with you. Bless my friends, Lord. And my, oh, my dream this week is that you surprise each of them by showing up in a new and unexpected way. So thank you for loving us like you do, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.